In the beginning, there was a spark. Well, that might be understating it a little bit. It was a big spark, the spark. The spark that ignited the whole universe. The spark that set into motion everything you and I know and love and have ever read about or will ever experience. This was the beginning of space and the beginning of time. With this spark, the clock started ticking. The story began. We don't know anything about before this spark, but we do know that about a hundredth of a second after the spark, the universe began expanding at a speed too crazy to imagine. It began moving outward, creating more space, filling it with matter, and bringing everything into existence. A fraction of a second after the spark, the universe was about a hundred thousand million degrees. In that first moment, the universe was filled with light. This was the birth of everything. And by everything, I mean everything that you know and love and hate. Every movie you've ever watched, every chai latte you've ever drank, every heartbreak you've ever felt, every song you've sang along to, your favorite person, your favorite Thing. It was all contained in this. It all started here. This was the beginning of this crazy cosmic story we all live within. You know how some stories you realize halfway through telling it that it's only interesting if you were there to experience it? And so you end the story by saying, I guess yeah, had to be there. Well, this is the story of all of us. We were all there in that spark, that spark that we all came from. I bet those first few moments of the universe were beautiful, and I wish we could have all seen it, but nothing could stand that intense heat. Not even particles. Particles had to wait a while for everything to cool down before they could begin to bond together. And it took another 380,000 or so years for things to cool down even more so that atoms could begin to join with other atoms to form the first molecules. Then, about 400 million years into the creation of the universe, the first stars were formed. And for a while, stars were formed and exploded and new things were created. And around one billion years into everything, some of the dust that was caught in the gravitational pool of some of the stars, some of the first suns, they clumped together and formed the first planets. Nine billion years into the history of everything, finally, we get to us. Well, not quite us yet, but we get to our solar system. Our solar system is formed. And back at this time, Pluto was still included in it. And then at the 10 billion year mark, molecules bond with other molecules to form the first cells, the first organic cellular life. And then after 13 billion years of time and space unfolding, we see the first complex life systems being formed. And maybe most interestingly, this is when sex was invented. 
and we have eukaryotic organisms to thank for getting all hot and steamy. Because before this time, all reproduction happened asexually, meaning you could reproduce on your own. And scientists still aren't totally sure why sexual reproduction has become so popular, why it's become the norm, because it's actually less efficient. But it seems that the universe wanted things to join together and not go it alone. Just like particles joined with other particles and atoms bonded together and molecules joined together to create better things than they could on their own. Some of the first forms of life decided to join and create something new together. And then, just a couple million years ago, the first people come on the scene. Conscious beings that stood up on two feet and could look up at the stars. And ever since, we've been looking up at all of this crazy cosmic mess and wondering what we came from. Welcome to the Howdy Brandon Show, you guys. I am super excited about this Advent story series over the next four Sundays, uh, partly just because I love Christmas. I love the music and the movies, the weather, the couple days a year where it's actually acceptable to wear a scarf in Austin, Texas. And I'm really excited, especially about this first story, this cosmic Christmas story. And this story is about us, about humans and how we got here. And it begins somewhere in Africa with a small tribe of the first people. And I like to imagine what it must have been like to be one of the first humans. You know, what if, what if you're the first person to fashion some clothes out of some leaves and wear it to cover up your body? Do you think the rest of your tribe, the rest of humanity, would have made fun of you? You would have been the first trendsetter, that's for sure. Or imagine if you're one of the first people to discover fire, and you're so excited until you realize the Nobel Peace Prize hasn't been invented yet, and writing hasn't even been invented, so you, you realize that you'll be forgotten. A flash in the pan, if you will. Or imagine inventing the wheel and thinking, if only we had infomercials so I could sell millions of these devices that eliminate lower back pain. I'm sure it was some interesting times. And back then we were hunter-gatherers, migrating around the land and following animals to hunt and gathering whatever edibles we found lying around. And this lifestyle required a good amount of space for us to survive because the land was our grocery store. And if your tribe grew too large for your local grocery store, you had to split up. And sometimes this meant violently driving off parts of your tribe who would go off and find new land to live off of. You can see where this would lead, right? After a while, there would be many tribes, all huntering and huntering, all huntering and gathering near each other, and they started to bump into one another. And we all know how stressful that can be. You know what your blood pressure does when you see someone grab that last pint of bluebell ice cream at the grocery store. That's just that's just asking for trouble. So inevitably, fights broke out because if you didn't protect your grocery store, your land, you didn't eat and your kids didn't eat, and you died. And so we created defined people groups, tribes. We created us, 
and we created them. The us that we protect and the them that we fight. And think about how important tribal identity was to us back then. In order to distinguish our tribe from their tribe, we would have certain piercings or tattoos or haircuts or fashion or whatever so that we knew who was us and who was them. Sounds not too different from today, does it? But we needed to know who to defend and who to fight off. So if you saw your tribe's tattoos, you could let your guard down. But if you saw somebody who had a Republican bumper sticker, then that meant war. Over time, tribes grew and split up and fought and spread out across Africa and up to the Middle East and eventually across Europe and Asia and over to the Americas. The stronger warrior tribes survived and the tribes that didn't drink protein shakes or didn't defend themselves got wiped out. It was every tribe for themselves. After spreading out across the world, we shift from being a migrating species to living in fixed settlements, farming the land and domesticating animals. We didn't have to move around constantly anymore, living out of backpacks. We could now stay put and hoard stuff in our garages. It was a game changer. This allowed our tribes to grow and people began specializing in different things like making tools or making art. And sometimes one settlement needed something that a neighboring settlement made. And so trading began. And then settlements began to combine and form city-states. And our little tribal us grew to a bigger collective us. Then we formed nation-states, and sometimes these would fuse into one another, creating empires. Because the bigger the us, the better chance we had to defend ourselves against them, or even take over them or exterminate them. And this process of combining and growing into a bigger collective us wasn't always very pretty. These were primitive people, so it was very messy and brutal. Because back then, they had wars of us versus them. Back then, they would invade and colonize and enslave and even kill people who weren't like them. But this was back then, right? This was how groups and nations grew to be bigger and more powerful, building up their exclusive us. This was a strategy that has worked really well for our survival as people up until now. Okay, I'm gonna ask you to do something really hard. Imagine you don't have your food delivered to you by favor, and instead you have to grow it or hunt it. And imagine you don't have a weather app on your phone. Or imagine you've never been taught that it's the sun heating the ground that creates evaporation which rises and then cools and condenses into clouds and eventually rain. Imagine you don't understand the rhythms of the universe, but your life completely depends on them. What would you do? Most likely, you would be constantly thinking about these mysterious, fickle phenomenons. You might even try to speak to them or pray to them. You would name these forces that you depend on with your life, these life forces. You would try to know them better, telling stories about them, describing the personalities that they seem to have. 
and you would try to figure out if these divine forces, these gods, can be persuaded. So that when we need rain, it will rain, but not too much. And when we need sun, there would be the right amount. And when we need animals, there will be some around that we can catch. You would try to earn their favor. Or maybe see if you did something that put you out of their favor. You would take things that are valuable and precious and offer them up to these gods. You would take crops and burn them as an act of gratitude and worship. You would take animals, and not just any animals, the best animals, the fattened ones, the spotless ones, and kill them. Not for you to eat, but to show the gods that you know your place in the world, and you know that you need them to look kindly on you and your tribe. And when there's still no rain or no sun or too much sun or no animals around, a thought goes through your head. Maybe. I haven't done enough. Maybe the gods don't think I really worship and honor them. So you give more, more crops, more animals, bigger animals. You may get so desperate that you even begin to kill humans just to show the gods that you are really serious because this is a matter of life and death for your tribe. And then what about when it rains, the right amount, and the crops grow, and everything goes perfectly? What do you do then? Do you celebrate? Of course. But you also know that there will be another harvest, another hunt that you need in order to survive for next season or even next month. And you want the gods to still be on your side then, so you show them how thankful you are that they provided for you now. You go ahead and you set aside part of the harvest or part of the kill and you give it to the gods. Because the last thing you want is for them to think that you're ungrateful for their divine favor. But how much should you sacrifice to them? 1%? 5%? 10% of the crop? Half? Over time, this attempt to understand the forces that determined our survival and get them on our side led to naming more and more gods. The god of the sea, the god of fertility, the god of anything that we feared or loved or depended on. And it led to escalating sacrifices and ceremonies to try to win them over. This was the birth of religion, and each tribe had their own stories and gods and traditions. And still today, we're asking these questions. What are the mysterious forces at work in our world? And how can we be in tune with them? As our tribes and cities and empires grew, our understanding of God and reality and the universe grew as well. And the tradition that I come from, it started with a particular tribe in the Middle East, a tribe that believed they were chosen by God to be special and set apart. A tribe that didn't act like all the other tribes, but instead lived according to God's ways. They would be God's representatives in the world. And this tribe, they really believed this. They really believed they were God's chosen people. I know they believed this because the guys would cut off the skin on their privates just to show how committed they were. They were all in. They didn't just go to church on Sunday mornings. They believed they were God's people every minute of every day. 
They didn't just read their Bibles, they wrote the Bible. And it's been a number one bestseller ever since. And in the Bible, we have a collection of their stories and books and letters and poems that show their evolving, expanding view of God. In the Bible, we see a God that creates the world out of love and creativity, which in itself is a novel and progressive idea compared to the other creation stories at the time that described a universe birthed out of violence among the gods. In the Bible, we see God as the supreme God among all the other gods, and then later becoming the only true God among all the false gods of other religions. We see God going from being a God up there that we have to trust to provide for us down here, to a God that lives with us and is constantly providing every breath that we breathe. We read about an older understanding of God who asks for sacrifice and killing. And we see new ideas breaking into human consciousness like, maybe God doesn't want our sacrifices and instead wants us to be merciful. We see the move from a God that sanctions genocide to a God that condemns violence and asks humans to love their enemy. We even see God become a dude because men seem to have the seed of life that they put into women. And since God is the ultimate creator of life, he must be a guy. We see brand new ideas about a God that doesn't keep humans guessing about how to be made right, but gives clear laws and instructions, and even prophecies about how this God will one day make everything right. These may sound like ancient, primitive ideas to us, to people who have devices in our pockets that can stream Seinfeld at any time, and 3D printers that can print artificial limbs, and ice cream that has butterfingers perfectly mixed into it. But these were crazy new ideas for the time. These ideas were on par with Einstein's theory of relativity, or Steve Jobs walking onto a stage and saying, it's a thousand songs in your pocket. These were crazy steps forward into a better world. Leaps forward that we take for granted, but benefit from every day. And the Bible is a library that allows us to see humanity growing up, learning these things, expanding in our understanding. But even this tribe who thought they were the ones to show the world what God was like, constantly failed to live up to the standards given to them by God. They often looked no different from the rest of humanity. They were prone to fear and anxiety and arrogance and selfishness, which manifested in elitism, racism, classism, and sexism. That's the kind of stuff that happened back then. Does this sound primitive? Does, it, does viewing others as inferior sound outdated? Or does it sound like exactly where we're still at today? In a country where we have more nuclear weapons than everyone else to intimidate the other. In a country that is itself divided between political groups that care more about winning than about what policies we win with. In a time where the growing gap between the rich and the poor is creating social classism in a time where our desire for power and wealth leads us to exploit the planet without any concern for the consequences. Do these ideas in the Bible sound primitive? Do they sound unfamiliar? Our survival strategy of us versus them has served us really well in the past, but now it's the very thing that's threatening us. We've made so much progress and our traditions have given us so many gifts that we should embrace. We should hold on to our faiths that taught us to trust God and to follow the rules that benefit everyone and, and to strengthen bonds of community. 
but we must continue to move forward, seeing more of who God really is, holding on to what we've learned, and yet realizing that we are still on the journey. We haven't arrived yet. Let's keep moving. We need to expand to a bigger God. We need a God that doesn't turn us against them, but is the God of all of us. A God that extends beyond tribes or national borders, or class or race or gender or sexuality or belief systems. A non-dualistic God of all that unites instead of divides. A God that doesn't lead us to colonize or convert others, but to listen and learn from others and the gifts that they have to offer. A God that leads us towards global unity of all people. And not just people, but all life on this planet. And I know this, this may seem impossible. This may seem idealistic, just like it did for a tribe of Jewish people 2,000 years ago. But then, a baby was born. A spark. There, in a manger in a small town in the Middle East, there was a mother giving birth to a boy with an unknown father. A divine spark. A Jewish family welcomed a new human into this crazy, mysterious world. But this human is different. This human, the set of skin and bones and eyes and toes, isn't like every other human. This human, in some mysterious way, is the life force of the universe. This is God. God in flesh. God with us. The spark that created everything, the force that has been at work unfolding all of creation, is now becoming a part of creation. The spark that brought us humans to life is now breathing its first breath of human life. And this God isn't an exclusive God. He is a radically inclusive God. He moves towards the other. He sets down his own identity as the, the creator of the whole universe and becomes like a human, like a mortal. He steps into our divided world, not to lift up one group, but to show us that we are all the same. The things that divide us are not written into the fabric of the universe. They are lines that we draw we can erase. In the town of Bethlehem, in the arms of a teenage girl, is the spark that contained everyone and everything at the beginning of time. And now it's here to show us that it still does. This baby, wrapped up in his mother's arms, is a question to the world. Do you believe that all humanity, all creation, is sacred? Are we all children of the spark? Music for this episode was done by myself and my good friend Chad, who did the intro song, the cosmic song, I, which I just, I freaking love it. 
Um, and thank you guys so much for listening. And I'll see you next week for the next Advent story.